Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Welcome to Non-Contact Time, a podcast about all things educational, hosted by Hannah and Kath. I'm Kath. I'm Hannah. And what's on the agenda today, Hannah? In our data segment, we're going to talk about a TAS article that discusses the devaluing of older teachers. In teaching and learning, we're going to hear from James, who's written a book called Leaving Work at Work, all about teacher well-being. In Pupils Causing Concern, we've got some funny stories for you. And in any other business, we're going to hear about some Patreons and some shout-outs. So let's get on with the episode. So Kath, what's happening in data today? So Hannah, I've been looking at some articles on the TES um, talking about how schools value older teachers or the lack of valuing of older teachers. So the actual article is called Older Teachers Bullied to Breaking Point. And it says that the union says bullying is rife in order to drive out expensive older teachers, while psychotherapist reports massive increase in teachers seeking counselling. So in the article, in a nutshell, it's talking about how Old teachers in schools are sometimes seen as more expensive and also sometimes stuck in their ways. So to make way for younger, cheaper NQTs, there's been an increase in older teachers being scrutinised disproportionately, put through capability and put under a lot of pressure to actually leave the positions that they've been in for a really long time. One of the big factors in this is the cost of older teachers because they are much more expensive than an NQT. What the article's kind of talking about is the fact that we shouldn't be treating these older teachers in this way, that they have this massive value that they provide for education and that no teacher, regardless of whether they're young or old or experienced or not experienced, should be facing bullying or ill treatment in the workplace and schools have a duty to protect their staff and promote a diverse workforce. So if we force all the older staff out, and we only have this young workforce, they're only going to have a really, really small set of knowledge. And I think that's a really important point. I think from my own experience, the reason I looked for this article in the first place is that I have seen this happen in schools and I don't agree with it. 
but I also have been in an experience where I've been the manager of a department. So I was a head of faculty in a department and I was actually the youngest teacher in my department. So every single teacher that I worked with and managed was older and more experienced than me. And I actually found it really, really beneficial. It made me a better manager managing that department. And one of the things that I had to do as part of that role is I really had to take into consideration the experience and the knowledge of the people in my department. So sometimes I'd go to a staff member and say, you have to do this piece of work, it's due in, it's a directive at the school. And sometimes an older teacher would say no, but they'd tell me why they weren't doing it and they'd sometimes suggest a better way, which I was then able to feed back to the senior leadership team. And they're like, oh, that's a really good point. And it made me look like a better manager but it wasn't my knowledge, it wasn't my experience, it was the experience of my staff that I was able to feedback. And obviously I gave them credit, I didn't just go, here's the really good idea, it's mine. <laughs> but um, it, it was so important to take into consideration that experience. When I was working in that department, I was also um, working with staff who worked part-time. So they were also teacher, practitioners so they were working as professional artists as well as working with teachers so the wealth of knowledge and the experience and their technical skills were so incredible that they were just so they enriched our department so much and it would have been terrible to lose those sorts of teachers in our department so I guess what I want people to be thinking about is what value our older teachers have have you had any experiences where you've seen bullying or devaluing of older teachers Hannah? Yeah, so after reading into this, it seems like a disproportionately larger number of more experienced staff are placed on capability. And when you dig into the reasons why, it seems like it's due to expense. So in the article it says, it seems they are being forced out because of cost, which obviously shouldn't happen. But we know that more experienced teachers go up the pay scale. So the way that this is happening usually is through lesson observations. While lesson observations do give a good refle reflection of your demeanour with the students, your relationships with those students and the, the kind of style that you teach with, I find it difficult to point a finger and say this is the best way, this shouldn't be done because lots of schools and contexts are different, lots of students are different. So my gripe would be with the performance management of observations and just using that solely to either berate or praise a teacher because I know teachers who have had outstanding observations back when we used to have gradings but they wouldn't get good exam results what does that say what's yeah. going on there if they're a really good teacher then what you know where what are we missing so I think you've got to take in, into consideration more than the age or the style of the teacher Think it's got to be a, a well-rounded picture of their experiences and their abilities. I think that's why it's important that when Ofsted do explain that they do not prefer a certain teaching style, you've got to have trust in that as a teacher because I've delivered lessons that have, you know, a lot of work's gone into it and it's worked really well and students have learned a lot, but I've also done lessons that are pretty formulaic, they're quite straightforward and it's just getting the nuts and bolts of part of the curriculum covered but they still learn a lot it's it depends on what students you've got in front of you and the yeah. teachers are the best judges of that because they spend the majority of their time with those students and they know them the best 
And I think when you're talking about older teachers, they will have this knowledge and this intuition that you're not going to have as an inexperienced or a young teacher. And I think it's important to trust them. I think this idea of putting them through capability is really horrible and it demoralises someone who's had a really successful career that's done so much good for the education system and then they end their career with this capability nonsense. I really hate how capability is being used in education and I've seen it in action and I really don't agree with some of the ways that schools have put it into practice. You've got like the dual edge of it because some teachers struggle and because as a teacher you're expected to support students and differentiate for students and find any way possible to help them and support them in achieving whatever it might be, whether it's SATs or GCSEs or A-levels or whatever. It's a supportive process. You wouldn't shout at a student if they got it wrong. You wouldn't criticise them or say you don't want them in your classroom anymore if they just don't understand the concept. And with teachers, I understand that time is money and budgets are getting cut everywhere. And sometimes it might take a long time to, to develop a teacher who's quite established and you know, does it one way, it might take a time to convince them of your ethos and take them with you on that journey and support them in that way. But we do it for the children, no matter how long it takes, we do, we do it. Why aren't we doing that for staff as well? Because a lot of staff are passionate about teaching. They've gone into teaching because they really want to make a difference. They feel like the relationships that they build with the students are authentic. They enjoy what they do. But then Mm. to suddenly be told that, your best isn't what we want and I'm sorry your face doesn't fit or there's some things that you're doing wrong in this. It's a massive blow, especially when teaching is such an involved profession and some people take it, you know, it's the pride and joy. They're very proud about their job. I think we've got to find a different process because Michael Gove brought in this six weeks to competency and then you can, you know, then you can be gotten rid of. But it's not what we should be holding up as a beacon of best practice in in a a profession that constantly goes on about care and support for students and and progress over time so one of the results of me reading this article was for me to go and look at why older teachers are actually beneficial and if you actually look at business articles or business writing they talk about valuing older employees and they talk about bridging the gap between older and younger employees and often they're talking about the gap The main gap that they talk about is technology. So if you could bring your older employees and teach them how to use technology more effectively, they're going to be so brilliant in your workforce. And then you could get the older experienced staff to teach your younger employees or your less experienced employees how to communicate or how to do sales or how to build relationships with clients or about loyalty. So they bring a different skill set to the younger generation and the younger generation bring a different skill set to the older generation. So after reading about um, more experienced teachers experiencing bullying and all of the issues that we've been discussing, I started looking at business and I found this article called 12 Benefits of Hiring Old Workers by Entrepreneur.com. So if you are hiring more experienced workers, they tend to be dedicated, punctual, show honesty, they're detailed oriented, 
They're often attentive and focused. They have good listening skills. They show pride in a job well done. They have organizational skills, efficiency and confidence. And efficiency and confidence are skills that take a long time to build. So I think that's a really important one. Maturity, which you definitely need in our type of job. Setting an example for other employees, good communication skills. And all of those things are really, really beneficial to any type of workplace, particularly teaching. So there's all these um, skills that they bring as older employees to our industry and yet we're treating them really poorly. Not every older teacher and not every school of course but I think it's something that we need to think about as an industry is how we can show those older teachers that their experience is valuable. It's obviously something that is poignant to the teaching and education community if the TES are writing something along these lines and it must have happened to a significant number of teachers for this to be an issue but I think you've got to think of the of the flip side of the coin so it's great to say all these experienced teachers have got all this wealth and breadth of knowledge and information that we can tap into but then it also suggests that younger teachers don't have that and I think what you mentioned before about younger teachers having a different type of skill set and the obstacles that they face are things like well you're too young you, you couldn't possibly know enough and I would argue that if you're going for those interviews and you've had all that experience within a school then you bring something new to the table all these topics have got to be taken quite sensitively because it doesn't matter how many years experience you've got it's the skills that you bring to those pupils in that school that really count so what tips would you give a younger member of staff walking into an established department at a new school in a promoted post Um, the first thing I would do is get to know your staff And then observe your team, but observe without judgment, observe and think about what's their style and what's their strength rather than thinking about the weaknesses. Because sometimes when you're looking at all the strengths and you put all the strengths together, it shows a bigger picture. Whereas if you're just picking at that teacher and looking for their weaknesses, it's not necessarily going to give you a picture of that department. I think if you also have a teacher that isn't working to the point that you think they should be working it's important to have a look and recognize what that problem might be it's a real strength of a department if you've got a mix of like multi-generational teachers because if you've got the young um fresh out of college you know technologically advanced type of teacher they can show the more experienced teachers some things to do with technology and how to maybe make more creative lesson resources and then you've got the more experienced teachers who when I was an NQT my main point of contact was this established maths teacher who was brilliant at behavior management because that's what I struggled with because with behavior management you can't just arrive on your first day of school and be good at it you have to learn things as you go along and it's more of a a collection of resources and techniques that you use in your arsenal of you know your little bucket of strategies those types of conversations and facilitating that really helps strengthen a department and a school especially when you've got everybody working together towards the same type of goal Mm, I think those conversations are so important too I think being able to have conversations with more experienced teachers is really important or a variety of teachers because I know I've also had conversations with younger teachers who are NQTs and they've said oh we've just been doing or been reading about this thing 
and I've gone, oh, that's a great idea. I'm going to start using that in my classroom. So it's having those professional conversations with people or having the time to have those professional conversations with people that really build up your relationships and your skill set and your bucket of strategies. I love the bucket of strategy. (laughs) I think the bottom line is that every person brings a different experience to the job. And I think like anything in life, just because you see something that's different to you doesn't mean that different is bad. And I think if we concentrate on the strengths that we have between the generations and utilize those to the best ability, people can move forward and enrich their curriculum so much better than by saying old is bad, young is good. I totally agree. In teaching and learning, we're going to hear from James, who's speaking about his book and other strategies that teachers can put into place to improve their well-being at work. Welcome to the show, James. Hi, thank you. And we're going to start with our five-question interview. So it's five questions that we ask all our guests, just some basic stuff about teaching. So the first one, in five words, describe teaching to you. I would say rewarding. You get to make a real difference. Challenging, because every day is is different, and the fresh challenges that you get faced, because every child is an individual and different problems arise, but equally you've got to use your brain to figure out lots of challenges which is a good thing the opportunity to be to show leadership so leadership would be my third word leading yourself leading others in terms of your staff and leading leading um, the children on a learning journey i would say enjoyable because it is generally speaking enjoyable to work with you know a lot of amazing young people and 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 staff um i would say a privilege as well that'd be my fifth word a privilege to be able to input so much into a lot of lives it is a privilege actually (laughs) shaping young minds (laughs) exactly in five words describe the best student to teach student to teach the student i enjoy teaching the most i would say number one barriers i like teaching young people that have barriers because i think they're the ones in some ways that need excellent teachers the most um number two um sense of humor i think i like children where they can you know a bit of a conversation a bit of humor obviously not too much is appropriate for professional relationships but it's really good when you can have that humor with a young person um number three uh, i think someone that's um respectful you know relationships obviously between pupils and staff are really important and respect is good there to, to make that work inquisitive and determined yeah when a young person is determined that they want to do well and push through the challenges they face then that makes it easier then to work with them to, to overcome those issues. Yeah, I agree. I love those. That's really great. What is your classroom pet peeve? Classroom pet peeve? So, so I used to be a year three teacher and now I work in a secondary alternative provision um, as a head teacher. So my classroom pet peeve in my current job would be when children decide that they're not going to sit at a table. They're going to just sit on the windowsill. And... <laughs> <laughs> trying to draw on that relational currency that we've built up with the young person to just gently convince them to come and sit at the table rather than on the windowsill. It's funny, I, ne- I never thought I would miss having those conversations like, oh, come on, so-and-so, come, on, come and sit at the table, get off the windowsill. Obviously, at the moment, we can't have those conversations so much, so it's a strange yeah. one. I kind of miss it, but it is a bit annoying as well. <laughs> <laughs> agreed, agreed. Um, so what do you do at the end of a really tough day to look after your mental health or unwind? Great question. And um, so when I was a year three teacher, what I would generally do was be so 
overwhelmed with workload and so oh i've got to get this done that i would just crack on i'll just get on with the marking get on with the planning so i could have some time at the very end of the day to rest but in my current job where workload isn't as much of an issue um for lots of different reasons i've seen it's really important to debrief to kind of just take a moment to pause myself and consider the day you know i'd quite often you know after a difficult day the first thing i do is make a cup of coffee um and while i'm waiting for it to to, to the kettle to boil i'm thinking and i'm you know analyzing how i'm feeling and what happened in the day and why i'm feeling the way i'm feeling um and then after my coffee's made i've got it in my cup i walk back to our classroom um i sit and talk with the rest of my team and we kind of talk about what happened in the day and um you know share the light-hearted moments but also kind of encourage each other and empathize with each other where you know others have found it tough too that's really interesting lots of people have actually said debriefing is the absolute most important thing they do in their day so it's really interesting mm. that you said that as well and last one, what is one thing you'd like to change about education i'd like to see from higher up from, from government down work-life balance being a priority because a lot of teachers struggle with it a lot of teachers leave the profession because of it um a lot of senior leaders are trying their best to make yeah. work-life balance possible for their staff but i think change has to come from higher up for it to be um for more and more teachers to be able to leave work at work genuinely i love that i agree because i think there are so many people that are doing the best that they can but without that government support and acknowledgement that it, something needs to change nothing's really going to change in a significant way completely and it's just thinking about all the all the guidance that's been issued at the moment with coronavirus and the schools reopening um and just how so much of it has come so late at night or at the start of a half term and that's just ridiculous because they're saying in the guidance oh make sure that senior leaders look out for well-being of the staff and themselves but at the moment the government isn't making it possible for teachers to do that um having read on twitter a lot of other head teachers and teachers as well they're feeling a lot of stress and when government guidance comes out there's a lot of posts on twitter from people i follow saying that they, that's not this isn't okay and i'm stressed and i'm anxious and it shouldn't be that way so do you want to give us a bit of a rundown of your experiences in education so far yeah of course so i started off my first experience in education was when i was at university i was doing english literature i didn't know what i wanted to do as a career and i volunteered at my old primary school i just happened to drive past it one day and thought oh i wonder if that would be a good thing to do so i did i volunteered as a, as a volunteer a teaching assistant i suppose um in my summer holidays and loved it really loved it so i went back again the second year went back the third year and then by that point i decided yeah i want to be a primary school teacher i want to be a male role model for these children that don't often have a male role model in their lives and in primary school obviously there's there's less males than than females so um i i did teach first teach first um leadership development program as it was called then um which is two years but with only six weeks training at the start um and then two years teaching as a classroom teacher so a lot of responsibility quickly in my career but it was a really great experience for shaping kind of my leadership skills and ability to teach well um, i had a really fantastic mentor um who helped me a lot um and then yeah so after two years um I was really feeling the teacher workload strain. Um, the two-year program was coming to an end. I was going to get married, and I'm now married to Laura, my wife, who was living in a different city. So I was moving anyway. And when, I'm, when I was moving, I was looking at different jobs, some teaching, some non-teaching. And I just, that work-life balance that I wasn't getting, I just thought, I can't sustain this anymore. Um, hence why I was looking for non-teaching jobs. 
Well, this job came up at the secondary alternative provision that I teach at the moment called um, TLG, which is short for Transforming Lives for Good. Yeah, the, the head teacher job came up, I applied for it, I got it, and it was a real pleasant surprise. And I've been there now for almost four years. Wow. So what's different about working in kind of alternative provision and maybe a mainstream primary school? What, what's, what's different in the different challenges and pressures? Yeah, there's quite a lot that's different. There's actually quite a lot that's the same, though. You know, the fact that the, te- the, the students that we have are the same teachers for the whole day, the same classroom for the whole day. Um, I think that a lot of children that we get struggle in secondary from that transition from primary to secondary where they've got to move around different classes have different teachers different expectations for different classrooms so we're actually quite similar to primary in some ways um, which is really really good but um, some of the differences would be um, obviously the, the age group of, ch- of the children is very different because secondary versus primary um, the way that we talk to the young people is very different obviously as well um, it's interesting, though, that some of the levels they're working at are quite similar to primary school because a lot of them have been excluded from, you know, fixed term and, and um, permanent exclusions from schools and therefore have missed quite a lot of learning. So um, although we're talking to the young people in quite a different way, um, we actually are doing some of the same content sometimes because um, the levels are so low in English and maths particularly. Um, yeah, another difference that we have is that the building we're in is a youth centre um, and we rent the space and it's a bit of a challenge sometimes to make it feel like school and insist to the young people, we are school, this is school, we're good, you know, in our Ofsted rating. Um, so, but I think sometimes being in a slightly different building helps the young people to see, yeah, this is a bit different to school and I can do well here. It's not like the school I came from. Um, so that can be a good thing too. Yeah, because it makes it fresh for them because if they've, found being at school really challenging and being excluded from that kind of situation those alternative provisions have to present it in a kind of new way to try and re-engage them doesn't it for sure yeah my next question would be what do you think then working in alternative provision is the most effective way to help students make progress especially when you've got lots of social emotional mental health needs that you've got to deal with Mm. at the same time Mm, great question i think that the most important thing is relationship. I know that's something that's a bit of a cliche. And I read an article recently um, where someone was saying that can be quite a misleading statement. So yes, the most important thing is relationship, but it's not a case of trying to keep the young people on side. Actually, it's a relationship that's rooted in respect and setting really mm. clear and boundaries, not being afraid, oh, we'll set a boundary in case they don't like you. That's not what that's about, but it's about setting a relationship, sorry, where there's mutual respect um, and where they know that if you say it, you mean it you'll follow through but at the same time you can have a laugh and a joke with them and play table tennis or play football together in the breaks and play car other other things like that and just talking to them as as human beings i think is really important you know um, showing the young people that we don't prejudge them that you know they are valued and loved and cared for and they get a fresh start every day Um, that goes a long way because a lot of the time they've been judged and um, told that they're not going to amount to anything you know they walk into a classroom in, in some mainstream schools and the teacher already is thinking oh they're to no good so just speaking different words over them and you know making it clear that you know we give them a fresh start and you know we expect them to do well is really key as well I like that that fresh start a lot of students have said to you know lots of teachers in the past like oh, you know, you you don't like me or whatever. I feel like I've got the worst short-term memory possible. So a kid will walk into my classroom <laughs> and it'll be like, I remember your name <laughs> and we'll start again. <laughs> I think that is really important because I think that stops those barriers 
um, you know, from the get-go, you kind of, everything's kind of a blank canvas. It's all back on the table again. So what inspired you to research and develop a book on well-being in schools? Yeah, great. Um, part of it is my own experience, really. Part of it is I was thinking to myself, hmm, if I, know, if I knew then what I know now, then would my experience in mainstream school have been different? Because part of the reason I've got a good work-life balance now in, is obviously the setting is different. Um, I acknowledge that working with a small group of students as class marking, uh, for example. Um, but there's actually quite a lot of similarities. You know, we're still planning, for, you know, lessons for a full day for a full cohort of students with differentiation of different groups. And in fact, more differentiation than with a full class of 30. Um, and yeah, lots and lots of planning and lots and lots of meetings and, and phone calls and things like that. Um, so there could be potentially a really massive workload, but my experience at the moment in my job is that I'm able to leave work at four o'clock. I'm able to not take any planning home, not take any marking home, and I have to just pick it up the next day at 7.30 when I get into work. And that is with some kind of some admin work on the bus when I'm on the bus home. Um, but yeah, generally speaking, I just leave work at work. Um, like I say, part of it is the limit setting that I've done. Part of it is the culture of TLG, where they really encourage you to lead work at work, knowing that you're working with in very challenging situations with young people that require a lot of patience and compassion, for example. Um, so yeah, knowing what I know now about how a, a culture of a school can really help teachers to lead work at work, and also about how a teacher setting individual limits for themselves about what they're willing to do or not willing to do. Um, those those things that I've learned, I thought actually I want to share this with others. Um, and I know that in a mainstream school, not all of what I'm recommending in my book might work. But for example, a teacher that leaves work at seven o'clock and is taking one set of books home, for example, their next step would be to leave work at six and take no books. And a teacher that's leaving work at half five, you know, maybe they could leave work at five. Or a teacher that's you know, leaving work at a good time, but still thinking about work a lot at home and making lots of plans and weighing up different strategies to use when they should be spending time with their family and being present in the moment, you know, their next step would be to do a bit less thinking work. So I think, yeah, although my context is quite different, there's a lot that can be transferred and everybody, I think, that reads my book, Leaving Work at Work, will be able to take steps closer to doing just that. So why do you think teachers don't focus on their own well-being? Mm. It's quite a um, outward-facing career, isn't it? Teaching, um, and you're off, you're constantly thinking about the needs of others, especially the students that you're teaching. You know, we all care and value the young people that we are teaching. That's why we do it. So I think that often we strive to do what's best for our young people, and often it's at the at the um, expense of our own well-being. I think sometimes we forget that. You know, the, the old phrase about you've got to put on your own oxygen mask first, and you've got to make sure that you're okay. Um, and that you've got time and space to be yourself, time and space to process your emotions and time away from work. You've got to do that stuff to make sure you're effective about your job. Um, but not, not a lot of people, well, some people kind of forget that. They think that it's, and I used to think this same thing too, I used to think it was selfish to take time for yourself. Um, I think I've got to just get everything done. I've got to get my tasks done. You know, my lesson needs to be planned for tomorrow and my book needs to be marked for tomorrow. I have to do it. But actually, one thing I recommend in my book is finding ways to take shortcuts and acceptable shortcuts. So, you know, can you set a lesson for tomorrow that doesn't require much planning in maths? You know, can you do a discussion lesson and do talking maths um, rather than a set, of, a set of worksheets or, you know, differentiated activities for each group? Um, and I think, yeah, going back to your question, I think a lot of the time we think it's selfish to prioritise our own needs, but actually it's important that we do make time for ourselves so that 
the children we're supporting get the best us, the most compassionate and patient version of us. Um, and our families too, I think that often we forget about our families. You know, we're so focused on the young people um, that we're teaching that we come home and then we're too tired to engage in conversations or work is still whirring around our brain. So it's really important we prioritise our families, isn't it, in this, so that, you know, they get the best version of us as well, rather than just the end of the day rubbish version. I like that um, idea of time to process your emotions, because there's so many times that you're in a classroom and you can't react the way that you would normally. So you have to be a little bit more blank and then try and think of the most rational way around this challenging problem but we actually have to take time outside of that lesson and then go actually that made me mad and this is why and then process it ourselves but we don't always get that in a school day I think that's a really good way of describing it actually (laughs) yeah yeah Uh, we we have we have this thing called change of face so in our staff teams we've got you know four staff on site and 12 students at a time so um I mean often there's only two in the lesson rather than all four but what we often do is you know someone's you know if we, if I can tell that my colleague is particularly annoyed, you know, we might just swap out for a minute. I might just take over the lesson for a couple of minutes while they take, you know, a minute to just step outside and just kind of make sure they're okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Come back again. And I think that you know a debrief is really important at the end of the day. But actually, I wonder if we can take more time in the middle of a day. Like if if a, if a class has got a TA, and maybe the TA could take the lesson for just two or three minutes while the teacher steps composes themselves and reflects before they come back in because it is emotionally draining to be putting on a, a, a mask for the whole day and not yeah. able to express your emotions or even just pause to think what am I feeling why am I feeling this way you know we yeah. need that space you know a lot of people have it in their jobs but we don't as teachers unless we create it yeah that's so true so true I think we need to Brilliant. create it more I think we need more cake yeah. Fridays <laughs> more cake Friday that's what Hannah and I do is we have cake and what advice would you give to someone who um, was wanting to train as a teacher? I would say, make sure you buy my book. It's only five pounds. It'll do the work. I love it. <laughs> Best advice ever. <laughs> you know, on a serious note, I would I would say that well-being is really important. That you know we kind of expect coming to teaching. You know, so many of our colleagues that are more experienced say it. Oh, you know, you, you know you. The workload is, is big um, and it's kind of expected that you'll just do that. And as a trainee or as a, as a new teacher, it's expected that you'll just have even more because you're, you're slower at planning and slower at marking at the start. So I think we need to yeah. change that culture and expectation when you come into the career that this is how it is because it doesn't have to be. I think if a, if a school leadership team is leading the school well, they will be able to find ways to help staff lead work at work. They will be able to put in place things that um, make that practically possible. Um, but I think that it's that, but it's also individual practitioners having that mindset themselves that they don't have to be taking lots of work home. That's not the expectation. That's not how it has to be or it needs to be. In some settings, yes, unfortunately, that is what has to happen to meet the expectation. But, you know, we can at least do what we can in that setting to to help um, to to change. If, you, if, you're, if you're trying to set limits in your own mind, regardless of the setting that you're in, I think you could do, you know, make some changes to, to your workload. So, yeah, I would say, you know, having at the forefront of your mind, you know, how can I be sustainable in this? How can I stay in this career for a long time? that is by setting limits for myself in my work. So I'm not taking too much home. Brilliant. Um, how can people buy your book, James? So it's um, on amazon.co.uk. Uh, if you just type in on amazon.co.uk, um, leaving work at work, 
Uh, it's the first one that comes up by James Birchinoff, that's me, um, and it's only £5. Thanks very much for coming on our podcast, James. And if you want to purchase James's book, it's on Amazon and it's called Leaving Work at Work. In Pupils Causing Concern, James is going to tell us a funny story this week. One thing that happens sometimes for us, we've got an astral turf pitch we can use at the back of the building. Sometimes it's like netting at the top, sometimes a ball gets stuck in the netting. And then that's always a bit of an odd situation. You know, do we leave the ball? Do we try and get it? And then often they end up throwing things like either another ball, if we've got another ball, or the shoes, or someone's hat to try and get the ball out of the netting. And then the worst thing is when someone like someone throws a shoe up there and it gets stuck up there with the ball in the netting. And then so you start this collection. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> If you've got any great stories about students, um, maybe it might be a physical challenge that they've taught you or a funny story about them in your classroom, really love to hear them. So you can share them on our Instagram. Please do it on our Instagram because I'm looking for more followers. (laughs) Or on Twitter. (laughs) So if you go on Twitter, you'll get Hannah. If you go on Instagram, you'll get me. Or if you want to get both of us, it's also you can also contact us on noncontacttime at gmail.com. Or our Facebook group as well. So if you search on Facebook, noncontacttime, you can get in that private group and be part of our discussions to inform our next episodes. In any other business today, we're going to do some shout outs to uh, some of our new followers. Welcome. Really great to have you listening to the show. We're going to um, do some shout outs to our listeners around the world and tell you about some upcoming episodes. So Hannah, tell us about our competition. Who has won the social media war? Well, <laughs> I hate to say it like this, but it was me. <laughs> oh, Hannah! <laughs> so only by a small number of people. So Twitter actually got more followers this week than Instagram. Oh, thanks for following us, guys. We really appreciate it. And um, we really do appreciate the people who've been sharing some of our posts this week as well. That's been really great. Um, so thank you to those people. We also want to thank um, the people in Emerson Hill, New York, Flatbush, New York, and Seaford, New York. Lots of people in New York listening this week. Um, and then other places around, well, mostly in the UK, Barnet, Salford, Newbury. Thank you to all the listeners from there and New Jersey in um, America as well. So thank you to all those people who are listening. And we've got our regular listener in France. Hi to you as well. So thanks so much for everyone that's listening. Um, We've also got a special thank you um, that we'd like to share with you guys today. So when we started making this podcast, we spoke to quite a few people um, and got some advice from people. So my very, very good friend, Kim, gave us lots of advice on how to set up a business like this and do podcasts and recordings and things like that. And um, Kim's actually the founder of the Secret Actors Society. Um, So if you were interested in maybe being a Greg Davies and moving from teaching to becoming an actor or a comedian, maybe this is the right app for you or the right um, program for you. So let me tell you a little bit about it. The Secret Actor Society is an impressive new educational app and website with over 2,000 career coaching videos for actors. Access insider secrets and insights from dozens of experts, including casting directors, SAG-AFTRA board members, voice and accent coaches, producers and working actors with over 2,000 combined film and TV credits. And I know that Kim and her husband have a film on Netflix at the moment called Wishman. It's really great, so you should go watch it. 
Um, if you join the Secret Actors Society, you'll also receive a copy of the Hollywood Survival Guide for Actors ebook just for trying it. If you join today with a 30 day free trial and 50% off your first three months with the code HOME, HOME in capital letters, um, and you can try it out. So if you're interested in acting or finding out a little bit more about what it's like to be a professional actor, it's a really, really great app. I know the book, The Hollywood Survival Guide for Actors is an amazing book. I know lots of people who have read it and obviously I can attest that my friend wrote it and she's really, really fantastic. So please do check it out. But we just wanted to thank Kim so much because she gave us so much advice before we started doing non-contact time. So thank you so much, Kim, for your advice. So Hannah and I have been recording some upcoming episodes and planning for some future episodes. So Hannah, do you want to tell us about some of our upcoming guests? Yes, this week we spoke to Ellis from Primate and he's been telling us all about Primate Coding. So that episode's coming up in a couple of weeks. It is a fantastic resource. It's free. It's for schools. You can send it as home learning. Students can do it over the summer. It's really interactive. It's got lots of video lessons and it's aimed really at primary school children. But I think some students in Key Stage 3 will find it really useful, especially for those ones who are struggling a little bit with coding. Maybe you want to make sure that all your students on a level playing field by the time you get back in September um, and I know a lot of students find it difficult to access those kind of resources at home but this is all you know you've got the ability to do this all at home so I really really can't wait for that episode to air because I think a lot of teachers will find what he's got to say really exciting and really interesting what about you Kath? Um, I spoke to Jackie from ARC, um, ARC Centre and Gallery in Stockport, and they've come up with a program called Keeping Us Together. So they're sending packs home digitally and physically to people that might need to reconnect through the arts, whether they've got mental health issues or not, um, they can access these resources. But they're absolutely amazing packs and I think there's 11 different art activities that you can do at home. So what we're going to do this week is we're going to share some of their resources in advance because we just think some of the stuff that people are putting out there is so amazing that we don't want you to have to wait until the episode airs to be able to access the resources. So check out our social media to find out more about ARC and Primate. Brilliant. So Hannah, I believe we have a competition. We do. So we have had a look at our stats and there are a higher proportion of people viewing our podcast via Apple Podcasts. And on Apple Podcasts, there's a, there's a review feature and we have so far one. <laughs> <laughs> one review. And it's making me really sad because when we interview people and when we speak to people for the podcast, they're really excited about what we're doing. They are quite positive about the things that we're talking about in the episodes and really excited for us to grow and kind of get more guests in, have more information available to teachers. So if you think that this is a worthwhile resource and you really like to listen, then please give us a review, explain what you like about the podcast and we are going to give our favorite review some merchandise so Kath what we've, what we got we've got some badges and we'll give you a thank you and we'll throw in a few extra bits and bobs um, for our winner but we will do a draw so we'll put all the reviews into a hat and pull out um, 
the best one. If you do subscribe or you do review our podcast, it's really, really good because it can help other people find us. So you might think that we're really great and that you'd like other people to hear us. The best way to let them know is to subscribe, share or review. So we'd be really grateful. Thank you. We really want to thank everybody for listening to this episode and thanks to all those who are going to review and subscribe and keep interacting with our podcast. Any questions, anything that you want to send us, any talking points, please send it over to our social medias. They are at non-contact time on Twitter and on Instagram and on Facebook. There's a group called non-contact time. You can also get us at noncontacttime at gmail.com please send through information to us so that we can adapt our episodes and feature your comments in our upcoming episodes. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.